Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. We are glad you are here listening today. Looking forward to talking about gardening. Uh, what's of interest to you? Uh, you know, what kind of topics would you like uh, to discuss? Just give us a call. We can answer your gardening questions. Uh, any, when I say gardening, I don't mean like a vegetable garden only. I'm talking about lawns and trees and even the house plants in your house <laughs> apply. So give us a call and, and we'll be glad to visit with you if you got any kinds of questions like that. This is a season where it's finally cooled off and we're enjoying pretty good temperatures, really. I mean, it, just looking at how this week's gone and, and the temperatures to come. Um, that, that, uh, that's the kind of weather I like to garden in. And now would be a good time to get out there and prepare your soil. Uh, this is the most important thing that you do, uh, to prepare your soil. <laughs> it's the foundation for everything. And, uh, don't take shortcuts there. I know when you go to a garden center, you see beautiful plants, maybe it's vegetables or flowers, uh, whatever it is, uh, and you want to go home with them. You're excited. It's colorful. Uh, you can picture the the vegetable produce already as if it were already there. But prepare the soil first. Don't plop a plant into an unprepared plot. That's my version of Peter Piper picked a peck of before. Anyway, uh, do the soil. What does doing the soil mean? It means, well, if your area doesn't drain well, uh, water stands there after a rain, uh, just kind of wet and soggy, well, it means a raised bed. Get a bed up about, if you initially get it up about a foot high, uh, it will settle down uh, probably to about 10 inches or nine, in, eight or nine inches high, depending on the kind of mix you use. Uh, and you'll still be high enough to be able to grow vegetables in that bed. Uh, that is very important uh, to fix the drainage. Uh, if uh, you have a clay soil, that's another time when probably you got to at least amend the soil with some compost. If you don't get it raised, uh, at least amend it with some compost mix in. If you never garden in a spot, I would probably put two inches, three inches even of compost and mix it in as deeply as you can with a spading fork or rototiller. Uh, and that kind of gets you started. And then as you go through the seasons, you'll add a little compost here and there uh, to to uh, enhance that a little bit further because compost breaks down. And what was once uh, a nice soil mix with good internal structure suddenly uh, is heading back the other way. And, and so we just add a little compost for that. But that's very important. So prepare the soil. We have, we have companies here in the Bryan College Station area that will deliver uh, compost or bed mix, which is a mix of soil and or decomposed organic matter to your house. Uh, you can go buy it by the bag uh, if you're not doing a really large area where you need cubic yards of soil. Uh, either way, it, it works out well. Then there are other companies that uh, they won't deliver it, but they have it. I know our landfill uh, out here uh, has a compost product that they create. Uh, and with that, you would have to go get it or, or you know, flatbed trailer or whatever you're going to do. Uh, but whatever you do, however you do it, prepare the soil first. Because that way, when you get into growing things, those plants can hit the ground running. 
and that's important. Hey, let me give you our phone number so you can give us a call. It is 979-845-5689. 979-845-5689. Or you can email me at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And why don't we start off just going directly to the emails here. Uh, I had an email uh, come in from John. And uh, let's see, John is seeing some leaves on the bottom sides of uh, leaves. He's seeing some, some little fuzzy balls on the bottom side of the leaves of his oak tree. Uh, probably it is a live oak tree because... Uh, that is the one that attracts the gall wasps a lot. But what that is, John, is a gall form formed by a, a little wasp. The wasp lays an egg typically in one of the veins of the leaf or near to it. doesn't have to be in a vein of a leaf. And the larva hatches out, and the larva secretes a substance that causes the plant to grow that gall. So uh, they're little tiny fuzzy ones. There are uh, little ones that are more smooth, but they are red, and then they fade to a light green color. It's a different kind of wasp. There are galls that get inside the stem of a plant and just cause it to be, I don't know, instead of a nice slender stem, it almost looks like a Michelin man, just all this bumpy, swollen thing in there along the stem. You see little tiny holes in it. And there's a wasp that causes a larger-than-a-marble wooden galls to form on the stems. All of those we don't worry about. Now, if you have a young plant and it is stressed and it has a lot of them on it, then treating for those would be something you would want to do. But it's going to be very difficult because you got to catch it when the wasp is out there about to lay the, the eggs. And you got to use a product that has some persistence to it because, uh, you know, if it breaks down in two days, then what good was that? Uh, and in general, I pretty much never recommend dealing with that, uh, dealing with sprays or anything for galls on plants. Uh, there are other species of plants. Uh, pecans can get a, a very uh, significant gall on them. And again, a young, a young tree just full of galls on the leaf. Uh, it takes away a little bit from that tree's vigor and its ability to grow fast, which is what you want a young tree to do. But, John, I, wouldn't, I would not worry about them. Lots of different kinds. If you want more information on that, uh, a website that you need to be aware of is agrilifelearn.tamu.edu. Agrilifelearn.tamu.edu. And if you go there, you can find a lot of information on various topics from entomology to plant pathology, uh, horticulture, of course, as well as while you're there, uh, information on uh uh, family and community health types of things, such as, you know, the old traditional one, talking from a gardener standpoint, uh, you know, how do you preserve your harvest? Uh, you know, how do you, how do you do that? What, what's the best ways to do that? And just a, a bazillion things on that. Um, so I would, I would say that pretty much anything you're going to look for is going to be on AgriLifeLearn, if you just go and search for it. Now the search box is not intuitive uh, like a Google search would be. And so you may have to try different words in there to end up finding the one that you're looking for. But uh, I, would, I still would say um, that 
AgriLife Learner be the place that I would I would begin. Uh, our phone number is 979-845-5689, and we're going to go to the phones and talk to Rayford. Hello, Rayford. Oh, Raymond, excuse me. Hey, Raymond. Oh, yeah. Hi, Skip. How are you doing? I had a quick question for you. I had this little farm area out on Old Hearn Road. You've been out here and visited me one time, and I was wanting to plant some trees uh, along the fence line and, and get some coverage that way. And that, actually out in the pasture was sort of the silver pasture concept mixed with some livestock. And I was uh, finding online that maybe live oak, water oak, that sort of thing that seems to be able to grow out here, uh, the best time to plant is in late winter or spring. But I've recently had someone tell me that the better time to plant is right now and let the roots get settled, Yes, and then they'll be in place and ready to take off in the spring. That, so, is, that is correct. Two questions. What, you know, what's the best time? And it sounds like now is the best time. And then could I – I want to get some coverage of trees – uh, you know, fast-growing trees in a way, and I know live oak and that sort of thing is not the fastest, but I'm up for any advice on trees to plant okay. out here. It's kind of a clay soil and, and when to plant. Okay. Well, yeah, fall is the best time for the reason you just said. We don't live in a northern climate, uh, you know, where it's just so brutal cold in the wintertime. We have a mild climate, and our soil stays kind of kind of uh, warm, uh, you know, 50 degrees or so uh, down in there. And in those kind of conditions, roots can do a little bit of growing. Now, they're, they're not growing as actively as they do in the, in the uh, growing season, but they are growing some, and it helps it establish. And so by the time next summer arrives, you have even more time for that plant to prepare, to begin to get roots out. Uh, and when it comes to heat and drought, uh, a confined root system is a difficult thing when you're trying to keep a plant alive or even help it grow. Uh, and so the more extensive the root system, the less you're having to water it and the more it's able to survive. So those are reasons for that. Uh, did you okay. say you were looking for uh, types of trees too? The like yes. oaks. Yes, sir. Uh -huh. uh, live oaks are fine. They're they're incredibly resilient and uh, they. You know, that's still something worth planting. They do take time uh, to grow, but uh, with good care, you can speed them up a lot. That doesn't mean you make them a fast-growing tree, but by and large, fast-growing trees are trash trees. Uh, just pretty mm -hmm. much the fastest things we think about, like the, it used to be Arizona ash in every neighborhood, and those things just fell apart. Uh, Bradford pear is another one that grows fast, but it falls apart. Uh, but uh, there are some medium pace trees that if you give them water and fertilizer, uh, they can grow pretty darn fast. You can speed up any tree with proper care. Uh, so is this going to be scattered through the pasture? Or are you looking at primarily along roadways or driveway coming in or what? Yeah, two, two applications. One would be along the fence line just for um, uh, beautification, I guess, and uh, visual. And the other is out, out in the pasture, and okay. I have a very gently sloping pasture, but it's pr primarily maybe some sand and whatnot, mm -hmm. and I wasn't sure, you know, how to plant it, you know, just plop them in the hole. I've done both, <laughs> or yeah. to actually go to the trouble to put in some amendments or something to give them the best chance in the spring. You know, you know I, I don't think I'd try the amendment thing with trees because their root system has to reach so far that 
it doesn't really help to just give an, an amendment in the, however large of an area you can amend. Uh, but, but getting them planted at the right time, getting them in is important. The, the most important thing uh, for you to do on those trees in a pasture, you know, they're not in the backyard where you can run out there with a water hose all the time, uh, is number one, get the pasture away from the tree. <laughs> Meaning if you can create, I'll just say a 10 foot circle, five feet out from the tree in all directions, uh, where there is no living pasture grass to compete with, uh, that will make a huge difference in early growth rate. You have to maintain that. Mm. And then in time, you know, you can back it off and the tree can grow like it would. But uh, that grass is a strong competitor. And I, I saw uh, a situation one time where pecan trees were planted in a pasture. Half of it stayed Bermuda grass. The other half, they killed the Bermuda and planted the pecan trees in the bare dirt. And you couldn't believe the difference in growth a few years down the line. Uh, just because wow. that Bermuda is a heck of a competitor. So get the grass away from the tree, not just three feet, you know, at least five feet in all directions, because the goal is to get that tree established and growing, and then you sort of back off the pampering uh, once once that happens. Uh, there are a lot of different species of trees. Uh, cedar elm is a native tree you see around here. Right now, if you drive around town, it's the one that has kind of a dirty gold yellow color to the foliage, a little small size at the end of your thumb. Yeah. Cedar elm's a very tough tree once you get it established. And so that would be a good a good choice as well. Uh, there are, you know, there are other trees. I mean, it, it's kind of hard. To, I like the red oaks. Uh, there are a number of different types of red oak uh, that grow well here, the Texas red oak. Uh, if the area is pretty well drained, things like a Schumard oak or a Nuttall oak, both would, would work. They're red oaks species. Uh, let's see, white oaks, we, I'm trying to think of some, the, the Mexican white oak, Monterey oak, is, is one of the fastest growing oaks. Uh, but early on, all of these need some care. So plan on, you can do this one, one of several ways. Uh, you probably have seen the bags wrapped around the bottom of a tree that you fill up with water. Uh, driving yes. around, landscapers use those a lot, or in city parks where they can't get back to water them all the time. I would do one of those, or you, there are other ways to do it. Are, are there cattle in this pasture? No, not right now. I was thinking about sheep later on. Okay. Well, what I've done around trees is take two five-gallon buckets, put one on each side of the tree, and uh, put some uh, holes in the bottom, small holes where they leak out slowly, uh, and then put a couple of rocks in there so the wind doesn't blow the bucket away when it's empty. And you can just drive by, you know, if you got some sort of a watering uh, container on the truck, uh, uh, and you just, you know, put up five gallons in each bucket or even half a full on those, uh, and that will leak out, and that way you're not standing there while water runs trying to soak the soil. Uh, but that mm. helps, helps take care of them right around the base of where they are, because uh, I doubt you're going to be able to drag a garden hose out to these trees, and water no. is the single most thing in terms of them surviving and then them being successful. Something, uh, you didn't mention blocking a view or anything like that, so uh, I'm sort of selecting trees based on the fact they're probably going to be deciduous, the ones that I would recommend. Uh, although cedar elm, I mean, um, eastern red cedar is wild here, and it, it's a pretty good tree, and, and there are ways when you start buying a bunch of trees for the pasture, that can get expensive. You know, container-grown trees are not cheap. 
there are ways that you can order conservation bundles. And what those are, they come as a bundle of tree seedlings in a box. And they may, it depends on what size you buy, but they may have a root system that's got about a foot of roots on it, and then the top may be two or th two feet high or something like that, and they're really inexpensive. You're talking about a buck, yeah. or, a buck or two a tree, depending on what you get. And so with those, you can afford to put more trees out, and if you lose some, well, that's fine. If they all happen to live, you just cut some off. But that is dramatically cheaper than buying even a five-gallon uh, tree uh, retail. Oh, well, so, I'll say, is that a conservation bundle? Is that a private company type thing? That, well, it, the I don't know if the Forest Service, anybody's listening from the Forest Service, there used to be two nurseries the Forest Service had, one in West Texas, one in East. I, I know the East Texas one closed, I believe, and the West Texas one was still going. And they had conservation bundles of certain kinds of trees. But I, I just don't know if they're doing that anymore. But you could go to the TFS, I think it's tfs.tamu.edu. That's what it should be, the, the way they name things yeah. around here. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that may not, no, that's not right. Uh, but anyway, the, you can find the for, Texas Forest Service yeah. uh, and get more information uh, from them. Uh, Th those bundles are, are good. If if you have tr trouble with that, if you will email me, um, if you will email me at the AgriLife Extension Office, my email there, uh, you, uh, okay. that would be better because I'm there all the time and I'm here one day a week for an hour. So um, I'm also uh, if it's do this sooner rather than later. Uh, I wouldn't you know if you can get. If you need help, let me know in the next week or two uh, and so that I can send you a list of some of the companies uh, that do sell conservation bundles of trees. Oh, that's great. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I did that once with the Forest Service with some pine trees out in Burleson County. And there you go. Like you said, yeah, it's, uh, they were fast growing, I, I think, developed by A&M to a certain extent, and, mm. uh, that, but the pine's the only thing I had experience with. Okay. And this summer, I've lost actually a red oak and a water oak, uh, one in cotton, a house in College Station, and one here on the farm. Yeah. I guess it's from the drought, you know. Yeah, it pretty much is. And, you know, there's a lot of factors. The plant has its own genetics uh, that affect different things about the plant features and growth rate and different things but also there is the soil uh, you know you mentioned sand in, in your conversation earlier mm -hmm. and and that doesn't mm -hmm. hold water well at all and so the frequency of watering is increased for sand just to make sure you try to keep those sand particles wet if it was a clay you get a good soaking and you may not have to water for three weeks you know just because yeah. it, it holds so much more water uh, but anyway, those are some thoughts. Uh, I think that will right. get you off on the right right start. That sounds good. I'll send an email. I sure appreciate it, Skip. All Here's right. Show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh -huh. I appreciate that. Yeah, the the conservation bundles, that's, a, that's an interesting way to go about it. A lot of people living in the country, and some of you listening may, may have this situation, you're on a roadside, and you don't want everybody that drives by. Uh, you don't have any privacy uh, maybe the road is a dirt road and it's always dusty dust blowing in. Well, uh, eastern red cedar is an evergreen 
and it makes, you know, when it's young, looks like a little Christmas tree shape. Uh, and then as it gets older, it becomes a true tree over a good amount of time. Uh, but that's a pretty good one. You can buy that in the bundles and plant them every, I don't know, four to six feet apart. It's way too close for those trees. But your plan is that you want to leave one every so many feet. That, that can vary. Uh, and if all of them grow, well, you just cut some of them off. You're not out hardly any money at all. Uh, and you can hedge your bet that way. So that might be a, a strategy for some folks to consider as well. Well, you're listening to Garden Success, and our phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu edu. Uh, let's see, I wanted to, uh, actually I ran across a story a, a while back and I, I've, I think I told it here on the air or read it here on the air, but uh, I just find this interesting. I think nature is incredibly fascinating. And when you look at the um, really deep interworkings of plants with insects and with soil microbes and with each other, uh, it is just it gets mind-boggling. And here's an example. Uh, Greg's Mistflower is a fall-blooming, primarily fall-blooming, uh, little frilly, light blue flowered plant that attracts the queen butterfly. Uh, queen looks pretty much like a monarch unless you're trained to discern the differences in the wing pattern. But Greg's Mistflower is a great one uh, for here in the Texas area. It's a native to some parts of Texas, I believe. And uh, it happens to produce natural compounds, which are uh, alkaloids that uh, they're, they're called pyrolizidine pyrolizidine alkaloids. That's bad radio when I sit there trying to pronounce it. <laughs> word, but they call them PAs. How about that? I like that, PAs. So these alkaloids occur in many kinds of plants. Uh, they're well known to ranchers. If you've got a, a livestock, the, there are plants that can be poisonous to livestock and, and humans too, for, the, for that matter. Uh, but the reason the plants have these in them is to protect them from grazing. So it's like the plant is producing a poison to help protect it from plant, from things that would eat it. And that in and of itself is quite interesting. But that's not the beginning of it. If you have Greg's Mistflower, you will notice the queen butterflies just load up on that thing. They love it, especially in the fall season. And uh, it, it's a, a nice idyllic setting. It's like, oh, isn't that cool out there? Little butterflies getting nectar and going around. Uh, actually, there is a very interesting process going on when they do that. Uh, this particular uh, compound, these, this uh, alkaloid, the poisonous alkaloid called intermedine, if you are a nerd and want to write that down, uh, it is essential to the queen butterfly's reproduction and it isn't poisonous to them. So this butterfly goes to the nectar, drinks it, no negative effect at all. But in doing so, it is imbibing some of this poison. And when you see queen butterflies and they're on Greg Mistflower, about 90% of them are males, and they're happily you know, imbibing that intermedine with the nectar that they take in. Now when that poison 
from the nectar gets into the queen butterfly, the male queen butterfly, the butterfly converts it into a different molecule that's a sex attractant pheromone that draws in the females. So butterfly male drinking poison <laughs> and suddenly it's producing sex attractant pheromones to draw in the female. That right there would be enough. That's pretty, pretty like, whoa, that, that's cool stuff. Uh, but uh, during the mating process, the male butterfly takes the remaining poison that it hasn't converted into a sex attractant and let's just say it's a nuptial, nuptial gift uh, so that as it mates with the female butterflies, uh, that toxin-containing material is passed on to the female butterfly and the eggs become poisonous and unpalatable to predators that would go along and eat the eggs. So that one flower is producing a molecule that in two different ways enables the butterfly to reproduce successfully. And this, this science of nuptial gifting, nuptial gifting, can't even say the word, in insects was worked out largely uh, by two Cornell University professors, biologist Thomas Eisner and chemist Gerald Meinwald. And uh, they were, uh, they, there actually is a field now of chemical ecology based on research uh, such as this. But when you, when we get to studying nature, uh, it just gets more and more interesting. And something as simple as, oh, look at that butterfly and a flower. That's cute. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's poisons involved. <laughs> There's a lot of cool things in the way they interact. And we could just do a show probably every week talking about some different, fairly newly discovered thing going on with plants. I, I know we've we've had guests on before that have talked about a lot of really cool stuff like that. Uh, one of the things I find interesting are microbes on the roots of the plant that cause the plant to uh, be enhanced in some way. They, and, and there are microbes on the roots of plants that can cause the plant to develop a disease resistance or an insect feeding uh, uh, inhibiting factors like tougher leaves or more hairs on the leaf where it's hard to get in there and, and eat the leaf. And and the microbes are doing a kind of chemical signaling is going on inside the plant, a couple of pathways uh, that um, are causing all of that. Uh, it Another thing, and I'm just, maybe the title of today's shows is Things I Think Are Cool. <laughs> I hope you do too. Uh, another thing is when an insect feeds on a leaf, a compound by the plant is uh, produced and released into the air, a volatile compound. You know, if you walk across, uh, if you rub against rosemary or walk across mint growing on the ground, that crushing of the stems, you smell it in the air. Well, it's something like that. Um, and as that goes in the air, things that attack the caterpillar, let's say, that fed on that leaf, they if I can anthropomorphize, they smell that in the air and they know something is going on and they know food is involved and so they swoop down and get the caterpillar and, and there we go. Uh, the, where it gets cool though is that the feeding of that caterpillar is unique to produce that particular compound. If I took my thumbnail and just pinched off part of the leaf, uh, that would not create that process uh, to, in the same way. And so that is, that is amazing, uh, plants uh, having the, the ability to signal. The other thing is that feeding the plant, then other parts of the plant 
change in ways to inhibit feeding. And I mentioned that, you know, like the uh, uh, dent, thicker, more leathery leaf or more hairs on the leaf to make it hard, more difficult to feed on or probably some other uh, things that involve uh, maybe some toxins as well. Uh, that is not my field of study. But uh, anyway, so now it's going to get really cool. So if, you, if, if that plant is fed on, the signal goes through the plant. If, if, if it's fed on by uh, root-related uh, uh, feeding, then there are also compounds that do a similar thing. And the plant responds. But what they found is that we have microbial fun, uh, uh, there are fungi that live in association with the roots of plants. Most plants have fungal associations that benefit both the plant and, and the fungus. And uh, so whenever that system is going on in the, in the uh, soil, it can connect one plant to another one. So it's imagine two people that are out in the country on farms a mile apart, and they can't talk to each other a mile apart, but someone puts in a telegraph or a telephone line, and now they're connected and they're able to communicate through that line. Well, that, that is the case uh, when we have these mycorrhizal fungi that are connecting them. Now here we go back to the original story. So when an insect feeds on a leaf on plant A and it is completely separated from plant B, you can't have those volatiles, those smells that I was talking about. They can't get to plant B. But suddenly plant B starts doing the same kind of preparation to inhibit feeding that plant A was doing its neighbor through the telephone line underground, which is mycorrhizal fungi, uh, th that second plant B got the same signal and it starts changing. Now that is just, to me, that's, wow, that is amazing, <laughs> amazing stuff. And we just keep learning more. And I think, you know, while we tend to uh, assume we know everything, uh, we don't. And uh, someone once said, half of being smart is knowing what you're dumb at. Uh, someone else, and this sounds more like Will Rogers or Mark Twain or something, and he said, it's not what I don't know that bothers me. It's what I know that ain't so. <laughs> so in other words, where am I wrong? And every time we turn around, we're finding there's a lot we didn't know and a lot of what we thought we knew uh, probably turned out to be wrong because we didn't fully understand what was going on. Uh, but that that's part of the fun of the whole deal. Uh, you're listening to Garden Success, and this is normally a call-in show, so this would be a good time to call in if you have a question I could help with. It's 979-845-5689-979-845-5689-979-845-5689-979-845-5689-979-845-5689-979-845-5689-979-845-5689-979-845-5689-979-845-5689-979-845-5689-979-845-5689-979-845-5689-979-845-5689-979-845-5689-979-
to the vegetable planting dates for Brazos County. It's a really cool little green calendar that tells you when you do and when you don't uh, plant uh, these various kinds of plants. So it's a very helpful for those of you wanting to garden uh, and know uh, the right timing for those sort of things. Uh, in the out in the landscape right now in the lawn, uh, just make sure as the leaves fall, you're collecting them and you are recycling them, getting them off the lawn so the lawn can capture sunlight. Even during, you know, we when we go into winter periods where temperatures are in the mid 70s or or, or more, uh, the grasses there's some active things going on in the grass, capturing sunlight, making some carbohydrates, uh, and that's beneficial to the grass. And so keeping it covered with leaves uh, is like overshading out your grass, and therefore it's going to go downhill. So this is a season when the leaves are off the trees, and it actually can get sunlight. So let's allow it to get sunlight by keeping those leaves off. Plus, the leaves are very valuable, uh, very valuable in terms of being able to uh, mulch, being able to make compost. Uh, they're just a valuable thing. In fact, your neighbors are so kind, they put bags out for you every week. Uh, somebody in the neighborhood has thought about you and your gardening, and they've kindly gone to the work of bagging them up and setting them out. That's just the kindest thing in the world for them to do. Take advantage of it. That's what I'm trying to say. Take advantage of it. <laughs> Uh, I know we have folks that listen, uh, certainly here in the Bryan College Station, the Brazos County area, uh, but outside the area as well. And we, we keep finding out we have folks that listen pretty far away sometimes by doing it on the computer. You can listen to Garden Success at K-A-M-U-F-M. Uh, you just go to the website, click around, find Garden Success, and you can listen online. You can also listen to past shows. And so that enables you to go back. Uh, you know, I give out a phone number, something you didn't have a pen in hand to write it down, and you can go back and get that number uh, that way. So that's another, that's another uh, helpful thing, I think. And uh, I really appreciate the folks at KAMUFM uh, for offering that uh, service to folks. Uh, it's a podcast, so you can listen online live, you can listen uh, to the podcast, or you can listen to the radio signal if you live around here. Uh, live as well. And that, that makes it pretty convenient. Uh, I was talking about the importance of science-based information, uh, and uh, I, I'll talk more about that in detail uh, in an upcoming show. But um, the, the fact that we get our information from reputable sources is very important. And uh, we are fortunate, those of you listening in this area are very fortunate, you're on the doorstep of one of the major agricultural research institutions in the country. Uh, and with our AgriLife research and AgriLife extension programming, there's a lot of free material. And take advantage of that uh, because uh, there are people that live out in Timbuktu in West Texas. I think Timbuktu is in West Texas, isn't it? Something like that. Uh, and <laughs> they're lucky to get a radio signal uh, where they live. And so it's, it's uh, so fortunate uh, to be able to have access to that kind of, of help uh, on, uh, when it comes to people wanting good research-based answers. Uh, I just want to kind of go around the yard a little bit and talk about a couple of things. Uh, it, this is the most important season for planting. If you don't plant in fall, that's okay. You can plant in winter. You can plant in spring. You can plant in summer. But the more stressful the time of year is when you plant and the least 
number of months until it gets stressful, uh, the, the, the more you are having to do touch and go with those plants for them to have success. Uh, and so now's the best time. Winter's also good. Spring is fine. Uh, but even spring doesn't give you the months that you will have uh, for those roots to start growing on a plant that is, uh, that is planted right now. Uh, our phone number, if you'd like to give us a call, 979-845-5689. Uh, when you're planting, and uh, we were talking a little bit earlier, uh, you know, with Raymond about uh, amending the soil, and this was like a, not a yard tree, but one out uh, in the pasture. Uh, but anytime you're planting a tree, something that's going to get big, just remember that the root system is going to spread much wider than the branch system is. So if you're talking about a live oak, how big do those get? Really big, right? In time. And those roots are going to go way out in all directions. They're always outside, reaching outside the canopy. Uh, and so if you amend the planting hole and it's a clay, what happens is it holds water, becomes an underground bathtub full of decomposing organic matter. But most importantly, uh, anaerobically decomposing, no oxygen. And instead of a nice, fresh-smelling compost, you end up with swamp gas smells, a sulfury, just really nasty stuff. And that just flat kills plant roots. Uh, and so we don't want to amend the planting hole. Uh, when we amend, we amend all of the soil around the area. Maybe it's a, a whole flower bed or a whole vegetable garden row. We amend the, the soil in a large area. And then we dig the hole putting that amended soil in a pile, plant the plant, put the amended soil back in to fill in around the plant roots. And you want to water it a little bit as you do that to help settle that soil around the plant roots. Don't just amend the planting hole. Don't put a synthetic or salt-based fertilizer in the planting hole. Uh, people tend to overdo it. That's a salt-based product, and you can burn some roots uh, that way. Uh, just better to avoid it. Uh, and, and wait until the plant starts growing and then begin to fertilize. Someone asked me the other day about when do I start fertilizing my, my new peach tree uh, when it's, you know, it takes off growing in the spring. Well, number one, remember those roots are all still where they were pretty much when you planted it. They haven't grown much outward from that, but they have grown a little. But once you hit a point where it's about six weeks into growing, uh, then I would start to provide some fertilizer. That early on, there are nutrients in the soil. The only source of nutrients is not coming out of a bag you bought at a store. Uh, the nutrients are there. You're supplementing them, and especially you're supplementing nitrogen primarily, uh, but phosphorus and potassium is needed on depending on the plant in various amounts as well. Uh, and so because you're doing that as a supplement, putting it on the surface when the plant's growing, watered in real good, they're going to take it up. They're going to use it, and it's going to be beneficial to them. But don't worry about trying to mix it into the hole. Uh, that, that just has its own challenges. Dig a hole that's wider than the plant root system. You know, don't dig a hole the same size as the container the plant came out of. Make it two or three times that size. And uh, have a, what they used to say, have an ugly hole, meaning instead of nice and slick-sided vertical walls, they dig out, it almost looks like a dish or a bowl-shaped uh, hole. Uh, and the sides, the shovel kind of hitting the shovel into the sides to even loosen up the soil and avoid any kind of a, 
a wall of, let's say, clay for those roots to come out and hit. That Those tips will help you. And there's one other thing to remember when you're planting woody ornamentals. You want to look for roots circling the container, and there almost always will be. Uh, containers are round, and roots hit the side, and they go left or right or down, uh, and they just encircle the container. If your container is huge, let's say you've got a 50-gallon pot, well, that's not as big of a concern, as big, but still, the roots should be cut. Uh, but the reason we cut roots on smaller ones is because imagine that you bought a live oak and you bought it in a little two and a half gallon container. And uh, I don't know, that circle would be maybe oh, 10 inches across the container. And as that root circles and you plant it, now you've got a trunk that year after year is going to get bigger and you've got a root that year after year is going to get bigger. Go look at some old live oaks and they, you know, the roots at the surface are big as your arm or, or bigger. Uh, and as those two come together, that root has a lot of the dead outer material as does the trunk and it, they can't graft together. And so it's like an anaconda snake wrapped around squeezing uh, the stem of that plant and you'll see them go downhill. Uh, this is really uh, bad on Bradford pear because they grow fast. And if they sit in a garden uh, center or a nursery for an extra year or so, uh, it can become more of a problem. More, I used to call it a ticking time bomb. Another is uh, living Christmas trees. Um, the um, I was out one time at a, on a field uh, visit uh, to someone who had a row of living Afghan pine Christmas trees that they put to block the roadside and to stop the dust and so on. And certain ones were just declining and we dug around the base of them and sure enough that's what it was. It's too late to fix it at that time. If you catch it real early you could, but the best time to catch it is at planting. Uh, and find those roots. And, and if it's a bigger container, sometimes it, they started the tree in a smaller container and then they bumped it up to a bigger container. And so now you have a buried circling root that you don't know is there. And I've talked with Forest Service uh, professionals who uh, even recommend, uh, they call it washing the root system, but it's basically getting soil off the root system so you can take a good look at it and fix any structural issues down there. Uh, but at the very least, when you pull the container out, get you a box cutter blade knife, you know, those little one inch long uh, razor sharp blades and cut vertically from top to bottom in about three or four places when you plant it. And that each cut place will sprout fresh new white roots to head out into the soil and establish that plant much, much better. If the roots are too big to cut with that kind of knife, then just get you some pruning shears and snip them off. But whatever you do, uh, get rid of the circling roots. Always plant the plant at the same level it grew in the gardens or in the nursery pot. Uh, actually, let me let me change that. I used to say it that way all the time, and then I started realizing that as some growers are bumping plants up from one pot to another, they pile soil up over the trunk, uh, and the topmost root is what should be at or near the soil surface, not the soil in the nursery pot. Let's say you had, and I've seen this, you know, you, you take the plant out of the container and you scrape away four inches of soil getting down to the topmost root.
So that topmost root at the soil surface, that's what you're doing. Now, if you measure from that root down to the base of the root system, which would have been in the bottom of the container, that's how deep the hole should be. Don't dig a deeper hole, fill it with that loose soil and it'll settle. Have you ever seen somebody that digs a trench across their yard and they fill it in and it's level and the next thing you know it's sunken down, that loose soil settles. Uh, so don't dig deep, dig only as deep as the root system in the container was. And that's my final tip uh, for success with those. Uh, remember when the next warm season begins, we're going to have to supplement with some water. Uh, and it, it, I can't say water this much a week or this many gallons a week. I mean, we can give you guidelines like that, but it's really about soil type and temperature and the plant you're growing also. You know, sandy soil, you got to water more often because it doesn't hold water. Clay soil holds water. You water too much, and now you got a, a problem with anaerobic conditions in the roots. So it varies, but I can tell you this, in the winter time, you need almost no water at all. If you moisten the soil good, those plants are gonna be good, with the exception of planting an evergreen that's continuing to pump water, uh, like you know, if you've got a ligustrum around your house or a pittosporum or red tip vitinia, uh, the uh, eastern red cedar I was visiting about with Raymond. The, those are evergreens. They're continuing to pump water. So yeah, keep that root system at the base of the plant where it all still is and after planting. Keep it moist and it'll do well. Spring, yes, some watering we need. And when it gets hot, uh, the first year a plant's been in, you're probably going to be watering it about every other day for the first couple of months, I would say. Uh, and and it, it gets hotter, then we can water a little less often, as hoping that the roots are expanding their way outward in all directions. You want to have success. When you get a tree, it's a it's a long-term investment in a landscape. Uh, I, uh, a master gardener years ago when I was in Montgomery County, uh, showed me a picture of a house that where he planted this tree, and it was this old black and white picture, kind of fuzzy, almost kind of hard to fully see all details. But there's this little tree in the front yard. And then he took a picture. He went back to that place. I think it was... Six fifty years later, maybe something like that, and he took a picture, and this tree was the place. I mean, it. The house was still there, amazingly. Uh, uh, that that uh, it's just a little frame house, but this tree. Oh my gosh, it was gorgeous, and it made the house. So picking varieties that are going to stick with it, that are going to survive in our climate and the vicissitudes of nature that we experience around here uh, is important. Getting them established well is critical and then helping them along. Once a tree reaches a pretty good size, you don't need to be fertilizing it. Uh, the, and you'll notice as you go around the country, uh, different places, trees are just different sizes. The drier the area gets, the smaller the trees typically are in general. Uh, just because of the limitation of that moisture. Uh, here, our trees are smaller than they are up in Delaware, Rhode Island, up on the northeast coast. Uh, even uh, Virginia, for example. I saw a pecan tree uh, in uh, George Washington's place up in Virginia. Uh, and no, I didn't know George. Uh, but it, it, was, it was beautiful and huge, and all the trees just get huge there. And it's because the soil and climate can support that. Uh, and as we go to other areas, sometimes it's the species that changes, but a lot of times it's just what the climate will allow. 
but you want to have that kind of tree that adds to the value of your home. So don't ever plant a tree just because it's fast growing. Most fast growing trees are not worth planting. Uh, that would include like Arizona ash, uh, certainly Chinese tallow. Uh, we don't need to be planting that. Uh, silver maple, another one. Just say no. Friends don't let friends plant silver leaf maples. It's just the way it is. There are a lot of great species that you can grow here in this area. I'd be happy to advise you. That's why you have a County AgriLife Extension Office, is to provide local information with research-based uh, uh, information. And uh, that's what we do. Uh, and it, uh, probably the, the thing I enjoy most is when someone gives me a call and it's like, we're going to build a house and we'd like to put some trees in and and I can help them pick species, help them plant it right, help them know how far from the house to plant it. That little tiny tree out in the middle of the yard looks lonely, but when it becomes a big tree, it already is encroaching on your, your roof and maybe rubbing on the eaves of the house. Uh, help them with all those things. It's what AgriLife Extension does, uh, and it serves all 254 counties in Texas. I don't know if you knew that, uh, but uh, not every county has an office. Uh, if I can kid around a little bit, uh, you get out and far enough in West Texas where there are probably more jackrabbits, where there are more jackrabbits than there are people. Uh, you you know you'll find some counties that uh, one office needs to serve two counties, just population reasons and stuff. Uh, we have a few of those, but every citizen of Texas can call their county extension office, uh, even if it's a shared office, and they can get access to some of the best specialists in the country. And that is an amazing uh, resource to be able to have. And we hope you take, uh, we hope you would take advantage of it because uh, it is definitely a good thing. Our phone number, if you'd like to give us a call, is 979-845- 5689-979-845-5689 or by email at Garden Success. Garden Success at TAMU dot EDU. Garden Success at TAMU dot EDU. Uh, it's always interesting going to emails and, and hearing when the phone rings in the office uh, or on Garden Line. A garden success. Uh, just uh, what kind of questions people come in with? I mean, and it it is all over the board. Uh, sometimes they are really strange questions, and sometimes it's the same question you answer a thousand times a year, and, and that's okay because everybody is you know new and going on their own pace. I want to I want to talk about a question. Uh, in a moment that uh, got a while back. Uh, we're going to go now to the phones, though, and we're going to talk to Karen. Hello, Karen. Well, hello, Skip. How can we... I have... Uh, yeah, how can you help me? We're going to be uh, doing some planting in a home that's in a new subdivision, and I'm, it gets blasted in the front yard by the sun. So I'm trying to look at plants that are at some point will be low water requirements, mm -hmm. and yet can take the heat. Okay. Um, I'm kind of leaning towards maybe um, like a semi-dwarf myrtle or a crepe myrtle, just because the size of the yard's not really going to accommodate like an oak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'd also like to get your opinion. I need to do some foundation plants, and I was thinking about the dwarf yopon holly. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's a Any good Any other yeah. recommendations or things I should consider? Uh, well, yeah, let, let's talk about that just a little bit. Uh, as far as the, the foundation plants, uh, just knowing that you can keep it where it doesn't grow up and start to block a window, uh, that you can keep it at that height without just constant pruning trouble. And Dorfio Pond would be that example. It gets a little taller in time, but it's not hard to keep very, very small. Uh, there are other plants okay. that that do the that are the same. They they uh, stay more dwarf, but you have to depending on where you're buying your plants, the availability is going to vary a lot, and you may have to yeah. you may have to work a little bit to find the specific ones you're looking for. If you want a crepe myrtle, uh, if you will do a Google search for um, crepe myrtle and my name, crepe myrtle Skip Richter, that that search. The top results, I think it still would be the top result, is a publication that I did uh, online with Dr. Jerry Parsons, who used to be an extension specialist in San Antonio. And it lists crepe myrtles from 3 feet high to 35 feet high. It shows oh, you the yes. colors of the blooms. It tells you whether they have beautiful exfoliating bark or not. Some are just putty colored. Some have a beautiful cinnamon bark. It even talks about fall color in the foliage, which actually can vary a little bit. Uh, and that list is an old list. Those cultivars are mostly still around. Some are harder, much harder to find. And then there's a lot of new ones that aren't on the list. But at least the list would be a good starting point for you. Okay. Uh, and yeah, and buy, buy a crepe that's going to be as big as you want it to be. Don't be, you know, the folks that go around town butchering everything. Uh, at a certain oh no, 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 <laughs> no. Okay. I, I've seen okay. those. It's 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 so sad. Yeah. Um, one other, um, I if you could help me in the backyard, we're kind of close to the neighbors. Can you recommend something that would be about ten foot high? Not going to require a ton and a half of of trimming and stuff. I don't mind taking something that'll be more of a bush and trimming it up to a tree. Mm -hmm. um, any, I, I was, yeah. You wanted a block of you. I think in the southern wax myrtle. Mm -hmm. In that mm -hmm. application. Yes, uh, it, it just it's going to need some watering to keep it happy uh, during the heat and drought. Okay. Uh, but southern wax myrtle get the standard type. There's a, they call it a dwarf type. It's really medium-sized type uh, the, of southern wax myrtle that's that's good for most landscape uh, applications. If you do this, uh, wa both wax myrtle and yopon, when you shear them, they form a wall of, of dense foliage. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to shear them all the time, but just some shearing helps with that. Uh, I'm, usually when you're describing a situation, you also want it to be kind of narrow. You don't want it to, if it gets 10 feet high, you don't want it to be 8 feet wide. Uh, Correct. Right. And so that's where it gets a little more challenging, finding plants that can fit that and that are tough and that do well in our climate. But those, those would be two options for that. Uh, hollies uh, can also do things like that, but they... They tend to be a little wider and also a little more persnickety about not getting the water like they want here. And so I wouldn't wouldn't probably go with a holly unless it's going to be a highly maintained uh, bed and yard uh, that, that you want to do that with. Uh, another option, and this will take a while to get the, the hedge, but uh, there are clumping types of bamboo that you can plant 
And just like they're running grasses and they're clumping grasses. So for example, St. Augustine and Bermuda are running grasses. They take off across the country, heading somewhere, right? And they, when you have a bamboo like that, it is a headache, constant headache. But there are clumping types of bamboo. And if you've ever heard of pampas grass uh, or, or maiden grass, those are clumping grasses. Yeah. You see them ornamental yeah. all over campus here. Uh, then a clumping bamboo, it's going to spread. The clump is, gets bigger each year, but it's not like it's running across the yard and popping up in your yard and your neighbor's yard. Uh, and so the bamboo, when you plant it, the bamboo folks say the first year it sleeps, the second year it creeps, and the third year it leaps. And what that basically is saying is when you plant it, don't expect much for the first year. It's, it's getting ready to grow. And then it begins the second year to grow a little bit. And by the third year, it is actively growing and you're getting the, whatever the genetics of that particular species are, you're getting the, the full height of that plant at that time. So that would also be a possibility. Uh, just, just be aware that you got to get a, a good one in order for it to do well. Let's see what okay. else, what else would be, I'm trying to think what else would be good in that situation. Uh, you, pr I, let me question. Uh, I, I got about one minute before we're done here on the show. Uh, why ten feet high? Uh, because most places where you sit, it doesn't take a very tall plant to block the view. Uh, the closer you are to the hedge, the higher, the less height you need to block a view. Uh, but if you got a, a neighbor with a two-story house right on the property line, okay, that's different. And it, it's sort of that type of situation. Okay. I mean, we can clearly see over the fence. We can see their lights. Okay. Um, I'm sure they're going to be able to see ours. All right. Well, hey, Karen, thank you for the call. I hope that helps. Uh, and just continue to look. Go do an online search for Grow Green Plant Guide. It's from the city of Austin. I did the publication when I was over there working there. Grow Green Plant Guide focuses on more drought-resilient plants. Not everything in there is for here, but it would be a great way to start. Lots of full-color pictures and information on every plant. Thank yeah. you very much. And I, and I, I appreciate, thank you. I appreciate that call. Uh, well, you've listened to Garden Success today, and uh, we are here every Thursday to answer gardening questions. You can reach us by phone. You can reach us by email. Uh, if you'd like to email, just remember that I answer those on the air. I uh, don't have time to type answers to each of those emails. As AgriLife Extension agent, I get enough of, of those as it is. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.